Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you are listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. For this show, we had the pleasure of having John Crace, the Guardian newspaper's parliamentary sketch writer and the author of numerous books. John was in Minneapolis and took some time to explain Brexit to us. We start all the way back after World War II and work our way up to how the UK got into this mess. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, very excited to have you. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. So uh, tonight we're talking about Brexit, and we're trying to figure that out. Uh, we've built tonight's show as uh, explain Brexit to Minnesotans, and uh, we're going to see how far we can get. Um, we can't. We haven't yet explained Brexit to Brits. That's fair. Um, but I wanted to just start with, can you, so I, I gave your title, political sketch writer, but we don't maybe have quite the same job position here in the, the state. So what is your job uh, in, at the Guardian newspaper? Primarily as an entertainer, but also as a satirist. I'm there to make fun of our politicians. That is, my, my job description is to make... <laughs> And to be honest, they make it very easy for me. Um, often it just feels like a transcription service, really. <laughs> I want to ask you more about that, but we, we do, we promise people sort of a Brexit education. Yeah, so, fine. Uh, I, I, let's try and like, like rewind the clock. Uh, we kind of have to almost start with just like, what is the EU? And so, uh, <laughs> which again, a fair question, I feel like probably in Europe as well as here. Uh, Actually, I, when I was in the UK, uh, or actually not in the UK, uh, in um, in Brussels several years ago, I went to this thing called the Parliamentarium, uh, which is a mix of a planetarium yeah. about Parliament, um, yeah. and they talk about uh, EU was sort of this. Uh, Big idea after World War II. We're going to prevent something like World War II from ever happening again by like just basically pulling all the countries together. Is that sort of a fair way to talk about how it started? Yeah, I mean, very much so. I mean, you know, after Europe had spent most of the first part of the century killing one another, various European countries decided it'd be quite a good idea that if maybe we stopped killing one another. Um, Sensible. Well, it was an idea that it floated, and, I mean, primarily it started with the French and the Germans, um, who had been at war with one another. The Brits were pretty pissed off that they hadn't thought of it first, so we, ref so we refused to join for a long time. And then Is that really, Do you feel like that's why? Because you didn't come up with it first? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's as good a reason as any, isn't it? I mean... No idea. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so... And that happened sort of uh, 60s, 70s? No, I mean, sort of in late 40s, early 50s. Late 40s, early 50s. Early, early 50s, the EU sort of... Uh, it, was called the, it was called the common market to start with. The UK joined in 1973. Okay, the UK joined in 1973. Talk to me about like how the UK joined the what was then, you know, mostly a continental piece at that point, right? Yeah. So was the UK like, okay, we've gotten over that we didn't come up with this, we're going to jump in, or was it? Uh, I don't know. Well, like Facebook used to have a status as it's complicated. Like, uh, <laughs> was that? Was that the relationship? Well, I, th I mean, there was a general feeling. I mean, Britain in the 1970s was one of the more depressing places to live. But I was there. Uh, <laughs> Not because uh, of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, partly. <laughs> uh, uh, 
but believe it or not, we joined via a referendum, which was possibly the last time the referendum was of any real value, because there is a general rule with referendums, only hold a referendum if you know what the answer is going to be. Never, 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 never do it if you think that you're going to come up with the wrong answer. So, jo- uh, joined the EU, joined the common market, yeah. did not... Well, there wasn't a euro at this point. No, there was no, no euro. There was no euro no, at this point. Britain has never joined the euro. Initially, there was only about seven or eight countries that expanded, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the former Soviet bloc countries started joining, and now there are 27 countries plus the UK. Also a country still. Uh, Well, after after a fashion. Yeah. uh, We're working on destroying it. Yeah. (laughs) So was there a time then, was there a period of time where people were like, yeah, this is working. Like, we've got a European Union. This is going to be sort of like the... Uh, you know, not to try and set us up as the example, but almost like a United States-ish kind of thing where you have, like, maybe different, smaller, like, federa- it's almost more like a, a confederation or a union of states in some ways, yeah. but of countries. Well, I mean, here's the weird thing, is that at the time of the EU referendum in 2016, I mean, large numbers... It was a question that no one was really asking. Should we be a member of the EU? This is where it gets technical, where it gets sort of tricky and sort of British political. But really, the EU referendum was never a referendum about should we be a member of the EU or not. It was a referendum that was held to solve divisions within the Conservative Party. It was a party political thing. Throughout... Uh, from the sort of 80s, 90s and to early 2000s, there had been, always been this wing of the Tory party, that had, that's the Conservative party, Conservative who had wanted to be... They hated the EU and everything it stood for. They basically never got over the war, really. Um, I mean, you know... Don't we, mention the war! Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was still, you know... For, you know, for some, some hardline Eurosceptics, the only good German is a dead German still. Um, wow, okay, yeah. yeah, all right. I know, I mean, it's harsh, but true. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so there, those things were simmering underneath. Yeah. When the, when, uh, the UK joined the, the EU, what, and you said it was a referendum, was yeah. that a close... Because we talk about the more recent one, to leave, was a very close vote. Was to join, was it a close vote? No, not really. It was about 62-38. Oh, so pretty pretty overwhelmingly yeah. people wanted to join at yeah. that time. But there were resistors or people who did not want to join at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And the weird thing is, is that at the time, a lot of the people who didn't want to join were people on the far left... Uh, oh, interesting. Because they saw it as the EU as some kind of global capitalist kind of confederation uh, that was going to slowly destroy workers' rights, everything, etc. I mean, ultimately, actually, it's worked completely the other way. The EU has consolidated workers' rights. And, and so you had elements of far left, and it sounds like yeah. far right. Or- and there's still those divisions. I mean, still, I mean, the weird thing was that during the referendum, 
when David Cameron... More recent referendum yeah, to leave. To, to, yeah, the one in 2016 to leave. We had, you know, David Cameron who was, com- camp- you know, campaigning to stay and wanted to stay. But Jeremy Corbyn was, camp- you know, he basically wanted to leave because he's an old... He's an old communist at heart, and he really wanted to leave. But the, his Labour Party, the Labour Party's position was they had to stay. So he'd sort of go, "I think we should stay." <laughs> and that's all. Everyone, and, and that's about and all anyone ever heard from him. Really, he. I mean, I wanna, I wanna ask you more about the individual characters, uh, m- more recently, yeah. to just kind of complete our timeline. So there's stuff bubbling, like people somewhat unhappy. Uh, with maybe being in the EU. And I've heard people say, like, it was always kind of there, but then it did come to a point where David Cameron, you mentioned, um, Tory conservative uh, prime minister, decided to, he was going to have another referendum about whether or not the UK should leave the European Union. Why? This is where the British politics... It becomes a uniquely kind of British kind of cock-up, really. Because it goes back... Because we had a general... We don't have that term here. Can you... Don't uh, you? Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, use your imaginations. Um, um, so, so it goes back a, go back a year to 2015. Because... From between 2010 and 2015, we had a coalition government, which because there was the Tories right. hadn't got enough seats to or MPs to rule, have an overall majority of their own. So they joined a coalition with the Liberal Democrats at the time, and they formed a government. Come 2015, all the opinion polls were suggesting that there was going to be another coalition at the 2015 general election. So David Cameron, to keep his the Eurosceptics, the people who hated the EU in the Conservative Party on board, said, oh, you know what, after the general election, I'll give you a referendum. So, and, but then, much to his surprise, he won the election. And that was his big mistake. Because once he'd, once he'd won the general election, he was obliged to give them a referendum. Because his plan had been, oh, we're going to be back in the back in a coalition with the Lib Dems and you can say, sorry, I'd have loved to have given you a referendum, but I can't because the Lib Dems won't let me. Sorry. So he was trying to play this, like, three-dimensional chess almost of saying, like, we will hold this referendum if we win this, kind of assuming he wouldn't win, then he does win, and so he has to go through, or at least... He would. Uh, did he have to? I mean, I've heard people say, like, couldn't he have just said, like, S- I wasn't really ever going to do that? Like, well, I mean, I think he might be wishing he'd said that now. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, he could have done. But, I mean, here again is the kind of the British situation is that all the opinion polls were suggesting that it was staying in the EU was going to win overwhelmingly by about 65 35. That's what all the um, opinion polls suggested. So David Cameron just sort of went in, just thought, oh, we'll just get this thing done and we'll win the, we'll win the referendum. And that'll shut up. The... And, then, and then they can just shut up and go away. But that, that's not how it played out. Uh, yeah, but yeah that, was the, that was the flaw in the argument. So I'm curious about, like, so there was a campaign for... Uh, 
pro-Brexit, against Brexit. And as you alluded to, sort of the players in this campaign were very sort of mixed up or like not maybe who you would... It, it didn't fall along traditional party lines. It wasn't like the Labour Party was pro-EU and the Conservative Party was pro-Brexit. It was that you had members of Conservative Party, David Cameron, Theresa May saying we should stay in, and then you had now Prime Minister Boris Johnson literally driving a bus around saying right. we should leave. Yeah, with promising 350 million quid to the NHS, that's our health service, every week. I mean, it was a lie, and he was told to take it off. But So he was driving around with a bus that said, we'll get 350 million pounds if we get out of the yeah. EU. Yeah, I mean, it was just complete nonsense, but... I mean, he's learnt from your president. Um, I mean, he realised that you don't actually have to tell the truth. This is an. I've heard some people critique, and you're in the media, you're yeah. the newspaper. Uh, the UK has very strong sort of balance rules, at least on television with the BBC and yeah. whatnot. That if you had somebody who is on TV who is pro Brexit. You had to have somebody who is on TV who is anti-Brexit and vice versa. That's true for the BBC, yeah, which, yeah. Was, which was, I mean, that played into the Leaver's hands because you would get sort of three Nobel Prize winners saying we, there's a good reason why we should stay, and then the BBC would be obliged to find some idiot who would come on <laughs> and give him 30 seconds about saying, actually, yeah, no, it's the, the Nobel Prize winners, they don't know what they're doing. Um, Couldn't work if you can get it. Yeah, no, it's yeah. fantastic. It's, um... Okay, so Boris Johnson's driving around, and he's mayor of London at this point, I believe. Correct. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's mayor of London. No, actually, no, he was. Uh, he had. He had. He had dropped them. He'd stopped oh, being mayor. He'd, he'd become an MP again. Okay, he was a member of parliament. Yeah, he was point. a member of parliament. So he's leading this. Uh, and then it. Uh, are you going to. A quick interjection. Yes. I know that for like your political elections, there's a limited campaign time. Yeah. In yeah. Did the same apply for this referendum, or did was there a long period of time? It was a much longer period than usual. It was about two months, and it sort of just seemed to go on and on. Yeah, and on. wow, <laughs> two months. Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched the Democratic debates yet? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know how you feel, but you know, spare a thought for me. I mean, I was out on my feet. I can tell you. I mean, you know, you got to think about the journalists sometimes. I you know. know. Uh, okay, so Brexit, the referendum, yeah. passes very narrowly. I think it, it was 52-48. 50, 52-48 to leave. Um, yeah. The, so I, we've, you know, we've made a lot of, and we've, like, taken a lot of shots at Brexit. I mean, I want to try and give, like, a fair shake. Like, there must have been people who felt, like, uh, for non-xenophobic reasons, like, you know, being part of the EU isn't working out for me, right? Like, were there sort of legitimate places? I've heard people, some people say, the being part of the EU was a good thing, and we also maybe didn't do a good job explaining to everybody why it was such a good thing for them. I think that's true. I think the Remainers took their vote for granted. They, I mean, their main campaign was sort of Project Fear, just to sort of tell everybody it's going to be really bad if you leave. To be honest, there were lots of people who, because we had had six years of austerity anyway, and there were lots of people who kind of thought, well, it can't be any worse than it is now. 
It was also a vote against the political elite, against the political establishment. But where the vote, uh, where vote leave really scored heavily is because they were just selling a dream. They were selling an idea. They never, ever had to specify what Brexit meant, which is why we're still arguing about it, you know, three and a half years on. Because nobody ever said. Some people voted because they wanted to cut migration. Some people voted because they wanted UK sovereignty. Boris Johnson, Michael Goves of this world, you know, the, the leaders of the uh, Brexit campaign, just kept it really vague. You know, whatever you want, you can have it, basically. <laughs> Don't worry about it. If, if, you, if you hate foreigners, that's fine. We'll get rid of foreigners. It's nowhere's problem. If you like foreigners, they can stay. You know, it's no big deal. And everybody, it's so sad. And, yeah, yeah. and everybody just heard whatever they wanted to hear. And they, yeah, that's fine. That'll, that'll do me. Here's a piece that is very different that I feel like we need to explain. So referendum uh, to leave the EU mm. passes. David Cameron says, all right, uh, that didn't work out how I thought. I'm out. I'm leaving. Yeah. Which, that's not how our system works. Like, why? <laughs> like, well, uh, our presidents screw up all the time, and they're like, I got two more years, baby. Uh, so why, I don't, explain that piece to me. Why does a prime minister leave when something they do doesn't work? Well, they don't always. I mean, it's not sort of... I mean, Theresa May, for instance, yeah. who was the Prime Minister who took over, she hung on and hung on and hung on. I mean, I think I, I, I personally sketched four resignation speeches that she made. <laughs> and each time she kind of realised that she, she'd said she was going to go, but... And then you kind of realise you looked at it afterwards and think, well, she's still here. <laughs> And it was only sort of four, you know, on the fourth occasion when they kind of literally kind of they got the bolt cutters, cut the chains. She'd chained, shackled herself to the radiators in Ten Downing Street, <laughs> and they were sort of dragging her out by her shoes, you know. And she was going, "Stop! Stop!" Well, I, okay. So, but and but the idea here is like you, a prime minister needs support in parliament in order yeah. to like. Maintain right, like there yeah. has to be because you could have a vote of no confidence. Which Theresa May survived several votes of no confidence, I believe. Correct? Uh, yeah. Well, she survived one. one. I mean, she also made a huge mistake because she actually, you know, she inherited David Cameron's majority, right? And then a year later, she holds another general election and loses her majority, which is another weird thing about your system. Not to like make it an us versus you thing, uh, but uh, you guys because yours is working so well yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> the prime minister can be like, we're going to have an election. Yeah. 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 And Theresa May did that, and she's like, we're going to have an election. Yeah. And then it didn't work out so well, because uh, she lost a bunch of uh, seats. Like, yeah. Her party lost a lot of seats. Yeah. And then she had to form a coalition with the Dem uh, uh, sort of Northern Irish sort of hardline Brexit party, which was kind of extraordinary, and sort of promised them one and a half billion quid. Here's a, uh, here's a piece I don't understand. So, uh, okay, after David Cameron uh, is ousted or, like, leaves, yeah. there was a, a race, who's going to be the next prime minister? It would yeah. seem like David Cameron's leaving because we approved Brexit. Boris Johnson has been, like, the person, the face of Brexit for a long time. Don't you just put the person who was the face of Brexit as the prime minister after that? Well, this, this was 
this is so weird. Again, sorry, I keep saying yeah. that, but it, but it really is. Because everybody assumed that Boris Johnson was going to stand for, to be the next you know, prime minister. And I was actually at the press conference on the day after the referendum. You know, you'd have thought the Vote Leave campaign would have been triumphant. We've won. And he looked at sort of... Boris Johnson was staring there like that. And he looked like he'd been up all night on LSD and had just sort of come, come down from a bad trip to realise he'd murdered his best friend. Um, um, it was... I mean, it was kind of weird. You kind of then realised that they hadn't been expecting to win. So, anyway, Boris thought, OK, I'm going to take over as Prime Minister. He appointed Michael Gove, who had been his sort of number two on, in the vote leave, as his campaign manager. And on the very day that Boris Johnson was about to announce that he was running to be Prime Minister, Michael Gove says, actually, I don't trust this guy. Uh, I'm going to stand against him. And, I mean, a lot of us thought, well, what took you so long? I mean, you know, you stood next to him by this bus for, you know, the best part of two months. You would have thought you'd have had some insight into the fact that he was a raving narcissist. But apparently, anyway, better late than never, I suppose. And so Boris doesn't stand. Because, I mean, the thing is that Boris, I mean, he could still have won it. But Boris, I mean, the thing you have to remember, it's just all a game for him. And he was a huge sort of wound because he'd always looked on um, Michael Gove as staff, basically. You know, someone who you know, gets his shoes for him in the morning and that kind of thing. And he just, he was just absolutely gobsmacked. That this is all of a sudden very, like, personal. Like, yeah. I, I, there's some sort of, like, telenovela that's happening here. Yeah. I, well, but we've been living it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's so much to try and get through in this amount of time. Uh, and I should say, the second half of the show, we open it up for you all to ask questions. But let me see if I can get through some of the, the timeline here still. Theresa May becomes prime minister. Yeah. That doesn't work out great. Because no. Theresa May goes to the EU, negotiates a deal yeah. like for Brexit, right? Yeah. And what I've heard is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was sort of like Theresa May said, I'm going to just figure this deal out by myself, basically, right? Even though she was in sort of a coalition government, she was like, I'm doing this. I don't need to talk to the Labour Party. I don't need to talk to anybody. Like, I'm going to yeah. do this. No, she did. I mean, the weird... I mean, here, here again is just utterly bizarre. Vote leave. We, as we said, you know, they were selling an idea. They'd no, no one had ever defined what Brexit was. Ther so Theresa May actually had a chance to you know, define it in her own image. And she could have gone and she could have done the sensible thing, which would have been to say, OK, it was 52% to leave, 48% to stay. It's a really close situation. So we leave, but we leave in a kind of soft way, maintaining as much unity with the EU as possible. But... After about nine months, she just said, nah, we'll just hard Brexit, just, just go, we're going to leave, I mean, going to leave the single market, which is the sort of trading of yeah. goods, we're going to end freedom of movement, end the customs union, just everything. And the EU goes, whoa, okay. Well, if you're going to do that, there's going to be consequences. So, so here, you know, here's the figure out of the deal. And this is how the deal is going to go. I mean, and this is where sort of Britain sort of screwed up again so badly. 
There was in the, tr the original Treaty of Rome, which was the... Go you, on. <laughs> Treaty of Rome, everybody. Yeah. That's a drink. All right. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I can see people leaving at this point. <laughs> there, there, was a, there's an, there was a thing called Article 50, which said that if you want to leave, you have a two-year time limit to do it. And the reason that they'd put in this two-year time limit, because they thought that any sensible country would think, Two years, that's just impossible. I mean, you can't even, you can't even kind of negotiate, you know, buying a house in two years. Yeah. Of, uh, do you know what I mean? So you, can't, un you yeah. can't unravel a whole sort of legal network with 28 countries. Yeah. But Britain thought, now nah, we can. And they can't. Um, and so they come up with, they, they have this deal. Theresa May brings it back to Parliament. Parliament votes on it and says, nah, we yeah, don't want which this. Is, and what's really weird is that she comes back with a deal, which is to leave the EU. And loads of, loads of MPs who wanted to leave the EU voted against it. Yeah. And I assume literally, all the, the, literally there was no deal to which they could say yes. And so the people who really wanted to leave the EU didn't like it. The people who obviously didn't want to leave the EU didn't like yeah. it. Uh, so there was just sort of some people who were just like, I just don't like fighting, who uh, basically... Yeah, just let's get this done, let's pretend it never happened. Yeah, they were the only people voting for this. And they, yeah. they basically, and I remember they covered this live, like on the BBC, and the, yeah. the guy in Parliament's like, order, order, right. over yeah, and yeah. over, and he's just yelling at people, but they keep voting it down over yeah. and over and over. It was really exciting. I have to say... Um, so after it gets voted down a bunch of, eventually three times three it gets times, voted down yeah. uh, Theresa May's like alright that was not fun and then now she has she left as well yeah um, I mean she belatedly thought okay well maybe I should ask you know the Labour Party and the Lib Dems and the, you know, the Scots and the Welsh what they thought but they basically all said it's too late yeah. Um, we we can, and also I mean you know they're politicians they can smell blood yeah. they knew she was she, they knew she was toast and they just thought why well, why why would we do her a favor and just because we've we've done a lot on like Theresa May and Boris Johnson mm. and like I have also had this thought if anybody other than Jeremy Corbyn were the head of the Labour Party would they be prime minister right now yeah I mean life would be very sweet. I mean, but also, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn is, in fact, one of the sort of unsung villains of the whole piece. I love that term. <laughs> because, I mean, he, uh, he is, an, you know, he is basically a Eurosceptic. And if he'd, during the referendum campaign, because uh, it was loads of sort of, lab in the Labour heartlands, you know, the white working class votes that traditionally vote Labour, loads of them voted for Brexit. And if he had made a case, a convincing case, but as I said, all he did was, yeah, yeah I suppose you can vote Remain if you like. <laughs> and that was, that was Jeremy Corbyn's rallying cry. And, and I mean, it was, it was extraordinary, because the next, next year during the general election... Um, he was, you know, when he was campaigning to for the Labour Party to win, uh, to try yeah. and win, he was he was a transformed character. Huh? You know, maybe he was, maybe maybe he just had a bad year or something. Okay, uh, I, I, we've run long, but there's so much that we were trying to get through. I let's just jump right now to the present. Boris Johnson 
now just uh, has become prime minister within the last few weeks, really, um, right? Um, yeah, we, yeah, well, we decided, I mean, it's sort of like, Theresa May was, I mean, for all her faults, was a fundamentally kind of serious moral politician, whether you liked her or not. And we've just gone, actually, let's just have a joke figure who's totally amoral <laughs> and see if that works. And so that's what you have. Uh, yeah. And Boris Johnson is this fascinating character who we could probably talk more yeah. about. I'm sure people in the audience will have questions. Um, but I, I kind of want to get to the end of the timeline, which is October, we have in theory a deadline, right, for uh, Brexit. One way or another needs to happen. And sort of, the I think, correct me if I'm wrong again, the EU is saying, we gave you the deal. You all need to, like, approve it or not approve it. And the option is if the UK doesn't approve it, there's what's called just like a hard Brexit. It's just like no deal, no deal. Like cruelest divorce of just like drawing a line and being like, yeah, we aren't talking anymore. Yeah, you cut the pets in half. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And there were actually like documents that came out like in the last week or so of like the UK government sort of saying, okay, if there is a no deal Brexit, here is what happens, and like, what what do those say? Oh, I mean, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's I mean, it is the greatest act of self harm a country has committed for for for, for years. I mean, I, I, have we have we got time? We've got to talk. We've got the, another great person who uh, hasn't got be received the sort of accolades he deserves. Is we have a politician called Chris Grayling, who I termed uh, failing Grayling. Because literally everything he did went wrong. And he was the transport minister. And he basically, (laughs) as part of the no-deal Brexit preparations, awarded a ferry contract to a company that had no ferries. (laughs) And whose legal whose legal terms and conditions had been cut and pasted from a pizza company. (laughs) That is absolutely true. You cannot make this stuff up. And it was for a a route between Ramsgate and Ostend, which didn't actually exist. And so uh, there was no no place for any lorries to sort of come off and on. The whole of Ramsgate Harbour needed dredging. And this was supposed to be done within, you know, a couple of weeks. I only understand about half the words you're saying, but it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, so so just to button this, where are we right now? Like, is that fair? Is October sort of the deadline? or And what needs to, like, is Parliament voting right now? Is Boris Johnson trying to do a deal? What's going on? I'll go over it. Look, look, they don't know, so I don't know. Um, oh, look, I can promise you they're not sitting around. The Parliament is not sitting at the moment because otherwise I wouldn't be here. <laughs> It'll be sitting in a couple of weeks. It goes back beginning of September. And the thing is that no one knows what happened. I mean, before we had a deadline of March the 31st and everybody thought, that's written, set in stone. That sort of came and went. Now we've got October the 31st and nobody... Again, nobody... I mean, Parliament might vote down the deal, um, might vote against a no deal, but... So they will vote... We don't... Like, we were playing can I stay or can I go. Like, we vote, we will not stay, and we will not go. Yeah. And... It's, yeah, I mean, anything is possible. I mean, it is, it is like sort of Alice through the looking glass. 
I mean, Brexit is the thing, is the sort of the tool on which sort of politicians are crushed and destroyed. Um, I was about to know, say that was an optimistic metaphor. Um, no, <laughs> no, I mean, it really, I mean, it, does, it is almost as if it's something that's designed to make them look idiotic. Which makes your job very good. Well, it certainly makes it, make, it, makes it more relevant. That's certainly true. But it also means, that, you know, when you're trying to describe idiocy, I mean, normally I kind of feel it's my job to make the gags. But they do it for me now. Um, so, you know, in the end I kind of left thinking, what do I do? do I, I'm becoming a straight reporter here. <laughs> Well, on that note, we are going to bring our guest back in the second half of the show. Can, thank, can you do a big... So, if you have a question, uh, raise your hand, and I will come... Wow, so fast. I will come towards you in a non-threatening manner, and I'll give you a sticker, and you have to ask a question. Uh, okay, so uh, that hand was very prompt and uh, is persistent. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to you. I'm sorry, I'm gonna, i got to have a place to put my beer down. Here you go. Yes, my question is the following. I assume that the EU is going to have to put their foot down and say, enough of this nonsense. Uh, and that's the end of it. At which time, if the sky does indeed start falling, as it seems like rational minds would predict, how long could Boris Johnson last? <sighs> or does so yeah does Boris Johnson is that bad for Boris Johnson if there's just like a no deal Brexit not necessarily is the simple answer because there is we we have another politician called Nigel Farage um, who is who he was the sort of nasty face of UKIP he was the sort of the nationalist xenophobic wing of Brexit he has now rebranded himself as the Brexit Party and tried to forget that he ever said anything nasty about foreigners. He is breathing down Boris Johnson's neck at the moment. So there is a feeling that if... Because they want a no-deal Brexit. I mean, quite why they want a no-deal Brexit when it looks like we're going to take a 5 10% hit in GDP... I mean, it does seem so daft, but uh, for some reason, a lot of Brits think that's a brilliant idea. Your, your guess is as good as mine. Why? Can and I the d- weird thing is, is that the people who most want it are probably those whose livelihoods are going to be most affected. Can, you- uh, can I just ask, the premise of that question was, at some point, the EU will have to put its foot down. Is that correct? I have had this thought that maybe we will all be, you know, like, it'll be 20 years from now, and we will all still be talking about, like, oh, maybe they're going to get a deal together finally on Brexit. Well, that's a possibility, but it would be very bad news for my wife. Um, Because... Because I, I, I sort of won't retire until Brexit is done, really. And by which time, I, you know, I'll be sort of dead. And, and there will be, I will be sort of sending, writing sketches from the crematorium, really. Um, but uh, um, It's a power. Okay, yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a hand up here, and then I'll come over there. So with uh, Jeremy Corbyn having, right here... Uh, oh, yeah basically failed to do his part in the referendum and uh, the minor parties in British politics still languishing and failing to break through. It appears there's a massive vacuum on the Crow remain side of the British politics right now. 
who do you see filling that vacuum? Or okay, will, can anybody fill that vacuum in the next election or at any point in British politics going forward? I don't see it happening. I mean, you would th- you would have thought the rational thing would have been for the sort of pro Remainers to sort of get together and form a government of national unity. But the thing about the sort of British political system is that nobody can agree on what unity unity looks like. Um, and I mean, here again, Jeremy Corbyn is the big problem because. A lot of the other parties, the Liberal Democrats, the Scots Nationalists and the Welsh, and even some of the Tories uh, MPs who are pro-Remain would vote for a Labour Prime Minister on a pro-Remain one if he wasn't Jeremy Corbyn. So why does Labour keep him then? Because Jeremy... (laughs) Oh, This is the this is the moment at which I want to kill myself. No. Um, Please don't, because uh, because it is this is the sort of British sort of political system sort of eating itself at the moment. Is because the Labour Party four years ago it revised its membership rules so that anybody who paid three pounds uh, for those who can't do conversion, it's basically three dollars now. Um, <laughs> And anyone with three dollars could could join, and so there was this huge sort of left wing um, sort of takeover of the uh, of by momentum of the Labour Party. So all the moderates were just sort of squeezed out, and now Jeremy Corbyn is this sort of person who is sort of hated by ev- all almost all his own MPs, but. Um, has the support of about 300,000 people in the country who are keeping him in power, and they can't get rid of him because they can't change the rules. Oh, barely follow. Okay, here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have only mentioned in passing the issue of Ireland, and so this is probably a separate show, but what is the impact of issues within Ireland and Northern Ireland... Um, and what impact does Brexit have on the peace agreement um, that was reached? Well, this is, I mean, you've come to one of the kind of the, the big crux, the stumbling box, uh, block of every, de- you know, the deal so far, is because once Theresa May said that she wanted a to leave the single market and to leave the customs union, there had to be by definition, a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. But the terms of the peace agreement in 1999 was that the border should be open. They have not found a way of resolving this, and hence we're talking about, you know, until they can find a way of keeping the border open uh, without a hard border, uh, you know, kind of frontier posts, uh, talking about a sort of Northern Ireland backstop. But the Brexiteers are absolutely terrified of that the backstop is basically a way of Britain staying in the customs union and the single market indefinitely. And can I just go, which is why some of Boris Johnson now has come up with this idea we can come up with some fantasy alternative arrangements, which, you know, you, a technology that doesn't yet exist to keep the border open. And I, as far as I can see, it's sort of dependent on 
badgers with night vision goggles. <laughs> and and they, are, they are basically... Brexit is in their hands. <laughs> I'm not going to step on that. That's great. Okay, uh, there was a hand over here somewhere. Okay, yeah. In America, there's a lot of talk about influence from Facebook and Cambridge uh, Analytical uh, influencing people's minds. Is there that talk in Britain? Oh, yes, very much so. It, to, to be honest, it feels like it's an argument that's been lost, pretty much. I mean, again, this is the sort of the Donald Trump effect, the sort of Boris Johnson effect. I mean, things that would normally destroy most political careers only seem to sort of add fuel to people like Trump and um, Boris Johnson. I mean, Boris Johnson, the, the, I mean, the one with him, there's one question that he just probably does actually doesn't know the answer to, and he's never given the answer to in person to, and that is, how many children has he got? I mean, nobody knows. What? Yeah, seriously, nobody knows. Because of non-disclosure agreements and stuff like that. I mean, he is an inveterate shagger. Uh, for what, for what a, for better work. And, I mean, normally that kind of thing kills political careers. But with Boris, you know, people think, what a man. I mean, I don't get it. I mean, he's a sort of fat, blonde blob. You know, but women seem to find him irresistible. Wow, There's a, this is like an interesting thing for my cast because normally we try and be respectful of leaders and whatnot, but I don't know what to do no, with that. No, really, uh, don't bother. Okay. <laughs> was there a hand over here? You're, no, yeah, no, okay, do we, uh, is there somebody, okay. Oh, you got, your question got answered. Oh, here in the front-ish. Have you thought of re-empowering the monarchy? So, so, of re-empowering? Um, to be honest, no. I mean... I mean, our royal family don't have a great track record. I mean, they, look, they, they begin to look attractive compared to some of the options, but then you have to sort of think, wait, no, what parallel universe am I entering here? I mean, we have, you have to remember that the sort of royal family have been basically, it's years of inbreeding to make them pretty stupid. That is their role. To be, you know, to their figureheads, they're not there to have opinions, thoughts, anything. They're just there to sort of shake hands, wave to people, cut ribbons, open buildings, say hello, that kind of thing. Um, and I suspect that uh, Brexit's going to be, it would probably be beyond them. But then it's beyond everyone anyway. So, I mean, maybe it's an idea. But the, there is a basic rule that we keep the Queen out of politics, and uh, I think it's probably best if that stays like that. All right. Uh, Going forward, what are the implications for the United Kingdom given the disparate regional vote on Brexit? Scotland, Wales, Great Britain. I mean, what happens long term? Well, no one knows, but I think it, the probability is that the United Kingdom breaks up. I can't see if... I mean, Scotland... I mean, the way it voted, Scotland voted overwhelmingly to remain. And, you know, they want, they want to stay part of the EU. 
And we should remind folks, Scotland had a, uh, there was a previous vote yeah. for Scotland to potentially leave. Yeah. That narrowly, like, Scotland voted to stay as part of the, yeah. the UK. But the thought I think you're suggesting is if, they, if we did do a hard Brexit or even a soft Brexit, potentially, Scotland would be like, well, nuts to this then. Yeah. I mean, because there is this, uh, I mean, here's where everything becomes really murky because... So much is talked about in terms in, in Britain at the moment in terms of sovereignty, national sovereignty. There are the, the xenophobes on one side, but you know a lot of the Eurosceptics talk about you know reasserting uh, a sense of sort of UK you know or British identity. But the Scots don't feel that. The Scots, you know, the Scots want their own. How, how can the Scots be sovereign? You know, they are having a Bre- Brexit deal imposed on them. And the same with Northern Ireland, because Northern Ireland voted to stay in the EU as well. I did see, I, I saw a Scottish uh, um, person saying, Westminster is pushing itself on us, which is sort of a very similar thing that you hear, I feel like, Brexiteers saying, you know, Brussels is pushing its stuff on us. So it's almost the same argument in some ways it seems yeah like. and i mean here 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 is another of sort of the great ironies the official name of the conservative party is the conservative and unionist party and yet it could be the party that is responsible for breaking up the union they have done a po- opinion polls of the conservative party and most conservative members who incidentally tend to be over 55 male on life support, that kind of thing. Um, they, they, they would quite happily... They, they think Brexit, uh, breaking up the union is a, a price worth paying for Brexit. OK, I, gotta, I have time for a couple more questions. I saw this hand, and then I'll come over here. Did Russia hack the counting of the vote? And so I'm clear I'm asking about your country and not ours. No. <laughs> No one knows. Um, I mean, there was undoubtedly Russian influence in the vote. How much effect it actually had, um, I don't know, because you never know kind of quite, you know, if what the sort of Facebook adverts, what Facebook messages, how much attention people pay, pay to them or anything like that. I mean, there was a groundswell of you know, feeling in the country at the time that people just wanted to give the political establishment a kicking, really, at the time. There wasn't really any thought about what that would involve or how it would play out. And I kind of think that the Russian involvement, Cambridge Analytica, as I was saying, I feel it's an argument that's sort of been lost because... The, it's it sort of happened. No one is going to replay that referendum again. I'm asking actually about the tallying of the vote. Did they hack the voting machine? Oh no, I don't think so. Sure no, no, no. I'm I'm fairly I'm fa- I'm fairly sure of that. I mean because I mean in Britain each thing ever you put a little cross and you think goes into a box and they have you got paper ballots. Yeah. It's a paper ballot. Okay, I have one last question here. Uh, the report that came out that was really dire about all the things that are going to happen, lack of medicine, lack of food, on and on and on, is that going to move the needle at all? It doesn't seem to be. I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia in Britain for, you know, losing the war. We will fight uh, We're fighting on the... You know, I mean, Britain, Britain, you know, in 1940, sort of Britain 
sort of the British expeditionary force sort of rushed back from we were defeated by the Germans and we sort of sent little squadrons of little boats to go and pick up the We British all saw Dunkirk. Dunkirk, yeah. yeah. Okay. And well that's that goes down as one of the great British victories. Um, we we celebrate that as a great victory. So the idea that we'll have sort of lorries stacked up and sort of people dying of for, for lack of medicines, that will be part of being British. It's sort of Yeah, no we Honestly, so it, it would be an honour to, to die for Brexit. You don't see... Because, uh, Craig, uh, <laughs> right now the, the you know, Remain side is saying we should have a second referendum, right? We should yeah. vote and say, uh, now that it, potentially we have a deal, uh, yeah. we should say, give it back to the people and say, do you want to remain or do you want to do this particular deal yeah. as opposed to the vague one? Do you see that happening? No, because it's far too sensible an option. Um, I mean, that, that's the thing an intelligent country would do. Where are those these days? Um, okay, so... Okay, I... Uh, this is my. I, I, we've covered a lot of Brexit stuff. I, there was one last thing I wanted to ask you about because you're a political satirist. We do some amount of yeah. political, and there's a lot of folks that I know who are sort of in this business uh, here in the U.S. Following like a 2016 election, uh, following like a Brexit thing, where I think that there were some of us in the political satire movement who thought, hmm, like, do we need to sort of like rethink what we're doing in some way because you know you made the point it's kind of becomes transcription in some ways but also does the even the fact that we're like making light of it in some ways like almost make it people feel like well i can just sort of do whatever then like i can vote to self-destruct my country um did you have any moment like following some of this where you were like oh maybe maybe the humor part of this is problematic or like counterintuitive almost yeah i mean a lot of my columns are quite i mean a lot of anger in the in the comedy and i mean my mental health has been terrible (laughs) i mean you think i'm joking um oh i believe i believe i'm here it's been terrible for the last four or five years i mean i i got to give you also you know one last thing about i mean here's your president Your your president often says yeah, I'm great friends with Boris Johnson. I told him I told him Brexit was going to happen. Boris Johnson is on record on the day of, of saying Brexit was going to happen on the day after the result had been announced. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't care. Every time it's pointed out, but it was the day after. He said, I don't know. I mean, you know, we are in a different world. You know, you rip up, what day would you like it to be, Tane? Friday's good. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's Thursday. So, so how, where do we go from here? Together? Yeah. <laughs> but Britain doesn't want to go to do things together. We want to do it apart. Well, you... <laughs> no, stop playing hard to get. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm yours. All right. <laughs> On that note, can we do a big round of applause? Thank John Grace, everybody. Yeah. Thank you.
This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our upcoming shows in person or you'd like to work with us, you can find out more information on our website at t2p2.net.